Who is your quarterback? We really don't know. <laughs> Longhorn Nation, we're back! All right, welcome back to another episode of Fire the Cannon. We are part of the 1012 Network of Podcasts. I'm Rocky. I'm Megan. And we are Fire the Cannon. I love it. All right, y'all. So today we have a a little bit different vibe for Fire the Cannon. Very different. We're bringing in one of our favorite people from in-state but wearing the wrong colors. Oh, it's, maroon. <laughs> it's our guy, Robert Behrens from AM. Man, you guys may know him as RCB05 on the Twitters. He is a 2005 graduate of Texas AM and is the current managing editor of Good Bull Hunting, SB Nation's Texas AM site. So, Robert is a lifelong Aggie fan and I would say a part time Longhorn antagonist. But love him or hate him, he keeps it real in the rivalry. Man, Robert, thank you so much for joining us. We, we love having you here. Welcome, Robert. Thanks, guys. I'm glad to be here. Glad to come in, talk a little uh, friendly Aggie Longhorn banter. Yeah, we'll keep it friendly for sure. And, that, and, and that's one thing we do appreciate. Like, you know, I've, I've followed you for a while. And I think one of the things that stuck out to me is unlike uh, some folks in this rivalry that tend to get wrist slappy or take it real personal, you've always kept a level head. And I think that is something that um, not either side can say very often about people that are pretty involved. So can you tell me a little bit about, you know, how did you get into TAMU? Like, was that a family thing? Have you always been an Aggie? And what got you into covering AM? We'd love to hear that. Yeah. So, um, I mean, going back to even just when I was a little kid, my, uh, my grandmother actually lived in College Station growing up. Um, and so, and the reason she was there is because my grandfather was a doctor at the on-campus health clinic. Uh, and so, I mean, so I just grew up going down to college station, you know, you know, going to A&M games. Uh, my, my aunt graduated from there. I had a best friend growing up that both of his parents were Aggies. So kind of just hit it on all fronts of just people trying to brainwash me early. <laughs> hey, look, that's how it works, right? <laughs> gotta get, gotta get indoctrinated. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. So what did you study at, te at Texas A&M? Uh, so I was a journalism major. So it does kind of tie into how I ended up um, you know, covering A&M because went there and honestly, I went there doing journalism thinking, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to be like a sports writer. Uh, and gave that a little bit of a shot, but uh, ultimately just decided I was like, I could make more money and do a lot less work just going more in the general PR <laughs> sector. That's where I am as far as my day job. Um, but, you know, I, it was really nice because when Good Bull Hunting came along, uh, the site started in 2012. I actually came on board in 2013 just as like an unpaid freelancer. Um, and it was a good chance to use, you know, not only my journalism background, but also just uh, by that point, I had dabbled enough in Photoshop, mostly just for like stupid smack talk on the Internet. Right. Uh, as most of us, that's how yeah. we learn Photoshop, right. right? That's its primary use. <laughs> of uh, course. But yeah, so I, so I kind of put that to use. And a lot of what I did early on on Good Bull Hunting was like, just like stupid Photoshops or like fake uniforms and started off almost completely just, um, you know, satire. And then over the past, you know, now it's been 
uh, nine years I've been with the side, I've kind of grown up a little bit more, you know, gone, gotten into the managing editor role. And I still try to do some of the fun stuff, but um, I don't have as much time for it as, as I used to. So it's a lot more of just keeping up the day to day of, you know, this guy committed or, you know, just keeping up the news from day to day, just by relevant. Yeah, it is a never ending cycle. That is for sure. And I do have to say, I was cracking up when you made the different conferences, because of course, all this conference alignment going on. And I think you had the like the beak 12 or something like that, where it was all the birds, <laughs> like the bird mascots. And, like I was dying at that thread. It was hilarious. And then you had West Virginia, because they were the only ones, the mountains. <laughs> it, it was good. I, I was cracking up. That one was, uh, someone pointed out in the, uh, in the comments was, so one of them I did was like, it was all cat mascots. And I think I called it the litter box. Yes, um, that was funny. But, but there was 10 of them. And someone said, you should have called it the kitten. Uh, oh. <laughs> but I'll boom, but I'll boom. Damn it, in retrospect. I like the litter box. <laughs> the, the litter box is funny. It worked well. I mean, it could go on and on, right? All night, all get all the dads together and come up with, <laughs> come up with all the ways you can. <laughs> just the, the dad puns, just the, just the, the dad terrible joke. dad jokes. No, that's awesome. That was really clever. Yeah, yeah, that was great. So, okay, so I have to ask you this before we jump into it. We are definitely going to talk recruiting um, again. You guys had a real big score here recently, um, but before we jump into that, I want to ask: Do you have a favorite Texas versus Texas A and M memory or game? Like, what stands out to you in the rivalry? Sure. Um, as far as games, like I feel like that's the sucky part as an Aggie fan. I give we're talking just football because, um, you know, we spent so much for the past like decade of that rivalry and where it was just so one sided because you had AM, you know, in the doldrums of the, the Fran and Sherman years and Texas, you know, in the peak of the Mac Brown era. Mm-hmm. Um, and AM was maybe just starting to cl- like climb back up to make it somewhat competitive um because you look at the last like i think in the last six matchups it was like three to three mm-hmm. um but then of course right when that's happening AM go goes to the sec and we haven't played the game in, in 10 plus years um so as far as like recent games i would say the i think it was the 2006 game where AM won 12 to 7 oh yeah <laughs> like ridiculous like 1910s yeah. football scores yeah, yeah. <laughs> They both took football back 500 years. That was like like Dennis Francione win because, you know, Texas was just far and away the better team and A&M just like just dirtied the game up as much as possible. And and like, you know, their winning drive was like this 90 yard drive that took like almost the entire fourth quarter where they were just running for like four (laughs) and five yards at a time. And you're doing the the option all the way down the field. Right. And so it's like, the ugliest football to watch, but you didn't care because you won. So. Yeah. A win's a win. Okay. Nobody looks back to say, was it pretty? No, it was a W. <laughs> Good job. That's a great memory. I love it. All right, Rocky, do you have a favorite Texas, Texas A&M memory? Um, I mean, I, I think it's always going to be the kick. Yeah. <laughs> the kick heard around the world. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, I'm not going to like put salt in any wounds, but A&M had a big win. <laughs> lead at home and everything about that kick was just will always be thanksgiving greatness for the rest of my life (laughs) yeah i have to agree and of course that's that's mine too i was at the game and i was actually with an a&m friend of mine chris um we went together so i'm like the only longhorn sitting in a very very maroon section 
Um, and it was a great game. I mean, honestly, the game had everything that you would want. The rivalry was there. Both teams were in it. I mean, it was lead changes, lead changes. I mean, it was turnovers, a- like dramatic, big. It felt like an OU Texas rivalry with the 50 yard line, the kind of loud craziness that you get from those momentum shifts. Yeah. It was a wild game. It was very cool. And I had, um, I think, of course, I mean, watching the kick go in and losing my absolute shit was amazing. I actually got down somehow, got down on Kyle Field after that game. I don't know how. I don't know how I wasn't like immediately kicked out, but actually took a little teeny tiny, and I'm talking like dime sized piece of Kyle Field with me from that because we knew it was the last time we'd be playing there. Um, So, yeah, but I mean, for the most part, I mean, my car did get vandalized that day and like, it ended up being not great after, but, um, but for the most part in the moment, it was, I mean, that was just a very cool, I think that game kind of embodied a lot of the rivalry and just the passion behind it and and all that. And of course, anything, (laughs) anything can happen any day in that rivalry, the team with the better record can just get demolished or it just, you never know. And they get on these, these series of wins and then the other team takes the lead and controls the series. I, well, Justin Tucker, our high school right here, Westlake, Justin Tucker went to our high school. So we would see him in the summers practicing. He still, you know, even after he was in the NFL, he'd be here in town practicing. And um, to see, to know like that came from just a block away from our house. That's pretty cool. Anyway, but Very yeah, cool. we'll move on. So, <laughs> no, no more. Well, we'll talk to a big win oh, you do oh, have right now is recruiting. Yeah. Oh, I will touch on that game real quick because obviously, okay, yeah, because yeah, like, from an AM perspective, it's, I mean, it was such like just a punch in the gut because you know, like you're about to leave. That game's going to be like the scoreboard for scoreboard. You know, um, the silver lining that a lot of folks took out of it was, I mean, before that game, I think most people thought, you know, Mike Sherwin was probably going to be retained at AM. And then that kind of sealed the deal of he was out the door and then Kevin, someone coming in. Um, and yeah, obviously someone didn't work out either, but he at least had his highs. And so when yes. you're sitting there, I, I think someone, someone had the same record as Fisher, the first 44, 46 games, right? Don't they have a similar record <laughs> with yes. the same one win over Bama? I mean, they, they, the wins mattered, which ones you won mattered, but yeah. someone and Fisher had this, a similar record after the first few years. So I don't know I, if I, I will, didn't work out. I will contextualize that a little bit because, because mm-hmm. you are through, you know, like the number of games that Jimbo has coached at this point, someone had the same record at that point in his career through, I forget how many games it is exactly. Yeah. However, you got to remember Jimbo played a, an all SEC season where he played nine SEC games instead of playing any non-conference cupcakes. Um, and in, I think a like first, like three years in the league. Cause when we first came into the SEC, you know, your non-conference schedule just kind of gets thrown all out of whack because our, our one like power five non-conference opponent was Arkansas who then becomes a conference opponent. So then you're just left with nobody. So a was playing like two and three F- FCS opponents every year in like 2012, 2013, 2014. Which is a, yeah, definitely a point that Longhorns like to make. Oh, a and oh, played yeah. a bunch of FCS I mean, if we and... had two or three a year, I think we'd have a couple more wins too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but no, you... that is a fair point. Who you're playing is, is definitely, oh, yeah. definitely matters. Now, I think, you know, and I, of course I didn't follow it crazy closely, but I don't think someone got a fair, you know, a, a fair shift out there at A&M. 
but um I also don't know that someone was the best culture fit either right like oh I agree on both I think Jimbo definitely fits you know again this is outside looking in correct me if I'm wrong it it feels like Jimbo Fisher is a better culture fit take that for what it's worth with with A&M so yeah I mean I can see that and but I mean you know what two like one year two years in everybody loved someone and we were riding high and I think the biggest thing was you know 2012 was such a like lightning in a bottle year where that's what I was just gonna say yeah oh 11 and 2 Johnny wins the Heisman you know it's like you get the stadium renovation you get all these facilities renovations and you feel like you feel like things were just like handed to them on the silver platter to build this like powerhouse program and then it just kind of levels off and then goes back downhill again, you know, both in on-field product and in recruiting. So I think that was the biggest thing that was his undoing because a lot of people say, Oh, well, you know, people got unrealistic expectations based on the first couple of years. And then that's why he got fired. I mean, I would argue the the success in the first couple of years is the only reason that he lasted as long as he did. Um, Yeah. I think think that's definitely a fair point it was a wasted opportunity because if you had capitalized on all that momentum a had in 2012, like, you know, who knows you know, what you could have done if, if you build the program the right way. Sure. And a lot of like what someone did is a lot of what Longhorns talk about with, uh, with Tom Herman in particular in recruiting where you say, well, there's these high, highly ranked classes, but it's all like skill position players or, AM's 20, I think 2013 recruiting class is almost identical to Texas's 2019, where it was a highly ranked class, but then two, three years later, you look and you're like, no one's here. <laughs> it's a bunch of wide receivers that transfer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like at the end of the day, you if it's not in the trenches and you're not, yeah, we know. It, we've it's we've we both go through these cycles at different yeah. times of these superstar names, but do you develop them? Do you give them someone to protect them? Do you, yeah. So yeah, I see. I see exactly what you're saying. That they had an opportunity to capitalize on those fire years, and it flamed out. And now you got you got your guy for a billion dollars in a hundred years. So <laughs> hope that works out. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. You know, when you were mentioning someone in the the lightning in a bottle 2012 year, all I could think of was Tom Herman with our Sugar Bowl win, right? Exactly. Like we got in there, we beat Georgia, and we beat Georgia convincingly. Like it wasn't really a question throughout the game. Um, save for some like trash points at the very end of it. And all of us left feeling like, holy shit, this feels good. We're, we're onto something. We're doing, don't say it. We're okay. Don't say it. Right. And then the don't famous Sammy quote, right. <laughs> Which and, is uh, the intro to our show. <laughs> yeah. So, so look, I, I definitely think there are a lot of parallels and as much bickering as our, you know, big brother, little brother in-state rivals want to do there are a lot of similarities in the program. There's no, no question. Um, Texas, especially lately, Texas and Texas A&M have been going head to head on a lot of things, including recruiting, obviously big time. So let's jump into that. You guys just, just had a big score. You want to, you got two big recruits yet, uh, commits yesterday running back too, right? Yeah. Well, yes. The first big one, uh, obviously was Anthony Hill who, uh, was down. Yeah. Out. In A and M, Texas, so like the a head-to-head victory in the truest form of the of the phrase. Absolutely. Um, and you know, important on I would say a multiple number of fronts. A, it's just just from the you know optics perspective, getting that head-to-head victory against Texas when Texas has had so much recruiting momentum 
for the past month, ever since the Arch Manning commitment. Um, but also just from um, an actual football perspective, uh, you know, you look at AM's 2022 recruiting class, as great as that was, kind of like the one hole in that recruiting class was they didn't have a stud linebacker. Um, because, and they, they had one at one point in Harold Perkins, but he decommitted and went to LSU uh, at, at the last minute last year. Right. So, I mean, so not only, you know, anytime you have like the top linebacker in the country playing up in Denton, yeah, you, you want to try to make him a target, but just from AM's roster perspective, you know, linebacker was going to always going to be a real big priority in this class. Um, so, yeah, I think he was AM's top target on the board from the get go. And so just being able to, I say lock him down. Obviously, nothing's ever final until until ink is on paper in December. And uh, even then, it's and not even fun, then, right? <laughs> and yeah. even then, it's not until I get they suit up and are playing for you. Yeah, it's, at, at least four games. <laughs> until they've suited up and played their four games. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely no. But I look any any Longhorn that says that wasn't a big uh, hit to Texas recruiting is kidding themselves. That yeah. was that was a great get for y'all. Um, you know, I think Texas. You mentioned Arch Manning. That's been huge. You know, the momentum that UT got and, and Sarke- Coach Sarkeesian got um, with Arch Manning signing on. Um, and of course, a lot of dominoes kind of fell in place there. We ended up getting Jonte Cook, which Cook has been an incredible recruit for us. It's been really fun. I think that's one thing that I'm hyped about with our recruiting. You know, we, we can talk numbers and we can look at statistics, but recruiting is a lot about feeling right like the families will tell you how it felt to be on campus in college station or in austin and and the the feeling that they got and i think for me as a fan watching outside looking in the feeling around recruiting for texas at least has changed very recently with arch manning is now hyping things up you know i watched Derek brown go on and this kid is out there like I wish we could pay him from the school point of view because he is like one of our best recruiters going out there and hyping it up. Jonte Cook, again, he's he's right up there doing the same thing. And, but even from the a perspective, so we're still seeing a lot of that from um, Bobby Brown, who was a guy in a the 2022 class. And he, in a lot of ways, even though he's far from the, like the highest rated recruit in that class, he was kind of like the ringleader of kind of like what you said, the guy that rallies everybody together, the guy that really was the one who, brought everybody else on board um and i feel like that's been i think that's always been the case with recruiting is that you know players want to play with other great players um but i think just with you know social media is now so present now and that makes me sound dated because obviously social media is not new um but i feel like it's infiltrated recruiting more and more every single year and it's like so like the country has gotten smaller you know guys in Texas are talking to guys in California and across the country. Yeah. Um, and nowadays like players recruit players as much as coaches recruit players. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. It's in, I mean, listen, yeah, we're old, man. We graduated <laughs> about the same time. I'll own it. That's fine. Um, I mean, you, shit, when I was in, when I was at UT, Facebook was like just becoming a thing that people, but you had to be in college and you had to have a dot edu. You had to have a dot edu to join. Yes. Facebook, I so. remember that. <laughs> but, Let's talk about dating ourselves here for a minute, right? Okay, well. You know, in the movie, The Social Network, there's like a scene where I think like Mark Zuckerberg is there and he's like at a party and this girl comes up and asks him like if he's on the Facebook and, you know, that's like a seminal moment for him of like, oh my gosh, this thing's like becoming a huge thing. Like, I remember that moment, my senior year of college when I was at a party and a girl asked me, he said, are you on the Facebook? And I was like, 
what's the Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> the Facebook. The Facebook. Yeah. The Facebook. That, that dates all of us if we remember it as and, the Facebook. And Justin Timberlake needs to walk in and say, make it Facebook. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Okay. No, I, again, I, I definitely agree with that. You know, shit, I got into this argument on Twitter two years ago with one of our beat writers, oh, Justin yeah, Wells, about who, social media. about social media. And I said, look, social media matters. It, it matters. It has an effect. And this was a, the irony of all ironies for this is we had just lost the Quinn Ewers uh, commitment basically to Ohio state. He had flipped to Ohio state. He's back. And he, he back though, <laughs> but we were, I was talking about it and talking with some people very close to the situation literally said in talking with Quinn Ewers, family, like it didn't make the decision, but it certainly influenced it watching just some of the vitriol that was happening within the social media arena, just among Texas fans at that time. And it's like, that was the comment. Look, social media matters. It's listen, are these kids going to come in and say, because of, you know, RCB 05 and exactly what he said on Twitter at this date, I'm not committing. No, fuck that. That's not what we're saying. But the general overall feel, is there the support from the fan base that shows, right? Is like, how are these kids going to be treated when they commit or don't commit? Um, and I think that too is just as important. How we treat kids when they don't commit is just as important as how we're treating the ones that do commit. Cause you see a lot of ugly shit out there. Like every, every school, every school people. in the country <laughs> has good fans and idiots. Right. And but, idiots. Yeah. I'll tell you um, one other thing that's changed recently. We talked about social media affecting recruiting and influencing that um, the transport portal. And I want to get your thoughts. I have a couple of thoughts. Okay. One, okay. One, I'm going to ask you this. So we've seen lately more high school athletes, recruits, potential recruits commenting and coaches, high school coaches commenting that some of their up and coming recruits are losing. They, their, their claim is they're not getting spots on rosters or offered scholarships because Colleges are just picking experienced, you know, graduating seniors or third or fourth year college athletes from other schools transferring in. And the high school students are saying they are losing opportunities in college. What are you seeing? What are you hearing on that? Man, the transfer portal is like, I feel like we're still all just trying to wrap our brains around exactly how this thing's going to work long term. Because, I mean, you talk about that and I've heard that same thing as well. Um, but you hear like kind of from the other side of that coin of there's so many guys that they enter the transfer portal and then like they, they don't have a landing spot and they're kind of just out there in no man's land. And it's like, it's kind of, you know, they've burned their bridge so they can't go back, but they don't have a good place to go. Um, and it's as much as like, I'm all for, I love guys getting to like having the ability to, to leave and get to go. If, you know, if they want to, go somewhere else so they can actually see the field. That's awesome. Like, cause no one wants a guy just wasting away, you know, buried on the depth chart and just, and just Absolutely like, wait, there's getting to play football, mm-hmm. but like, there's gotta be some guardrails around it. Cause it's, you, know, you hear people say like, like coaches now they're having to like, not only recruit these high school kids and also maybe recruit other potential transfers. They're having to like re-recruit their entire roster every year. Right. And so it's like, it's, I think it's unsustainable long-term um and it's like and it, it's hard to wrap your brain around just because you just never know like you know you get excited because guys commit to you but like but, but they might be gone in a year so, you know. <laughs> right yeah i again i think one of the things we agree there there should be some guardrails here and then to complicate matters right you throw in nil 
And that just makes it look so NIL, we get it. A lot of the big names are, are benefiting largely. But I think in a way, while that can complicate things, I think that's a way that some of the schools have kind of countered the, the transfer portal as well, right? Like we see it with Texas with the O-line as an example, like the pancake factory. Hey, O-line players, like as a group, will get this much per player, you know, per semester, um, which I think is a cool way to kind of counter that and offer. Um, but it is, you're right. It, it has complicated coaches' jobs. Um, you know, I've got some friends that work in compliance all over the country and everybody's just ripping their hair out over this shit. Cause it's like, you've got your transfer portals and now you've got your freaking NIL and all the laws are different between state to state. And nobody knows what the fuck is going on at any given time. Right. It's, mm -hmm. it's a, it's a complicated, complicated landscape. So, um, do you think, do you see that ironing itself out? Um, given that the NCAA is and I use air quotes when I say this, but the NCAA is in charge of all of oh, this no, stuff Oh, right no, that now. makes it even worse. <laughs> what are your thoughts? I honestly think if, if it happens, because it needs to happen either one of either two ways, because they say the problem is the NCAA can't really enforce it without some kind of action from Congress, because right. if they force it, then it's like this anti antitrust thing. And I don't know the details because I'm not that informed. Um, but yeah, so... If you're trying to like wait on Congress to solve your problems, yeah. hold your breath. So basically, we're screwed because it's either up to Congress or the NCAA. Which, come on. So my kind of alternate view of that, which I think may be more realistic, is the way conference realignment is going with like the SEC and the Big Ten looking like they're just going to completely dominate the landscape. Is if the SEC and the Big Ten can kind of have a handshake agreement of like we're going to abide by the same guidelines and they have kind of all the big boys at the table. Mm -hmm. I probably have like maybe everyone else kind of just operates by those same standards because I mean, just really it's like outside of those conferences, you know, especially with what they're going to be in a few years, the only schools that could maybe come over the top, you know, and just outbid you NIL wise, if they're not following those same rules, it's like what maybe a, a few schools in the sec, maybe Oregon. Um, USC. Yeah, well, oh, they'll be in the Big Ten, though. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, if they, if don't are they waiting on their commissioner to say whether or not they're taking an ESPN deal or something? Did that ever happen? Do you know? Has that oh, happened yet? They were waiting on something. So oh, my my second question to you about the transfer portal, and you kind of touched on this a little bit about a kid who you'd rather them go find a space where they can play instead of sitting on a bench, right? Like it's not up to the kid. They may commit to this coach or this, you know, scheme or this you know, whatever's happening at the time, but by the time they're in their sophomore year, there's a new coach or a new assistant or a new scheme and they don't fit it and they're on the bench or whatever's changed since they got to campus, or maybe they're too far from their family or all the things that can happen to any student on campus where they're just not a fit at the university. Um, or the coaches can come and go and sign out and now they're making eight or nine, 10 million a year somewhere else. And because they recruited so well and coached so well, now they're gone. So I, I, I'm a fan of the transfer portal in that every other kid on campus can find what, where it fits them best. And how a lot of people started at one school and didn't finish there. And that's, you know, where they, whatever happened in their life. So if you had to say transfer portal, yay or nay, taking the pros and cons, how would you argue yay or nay? I mean, I would, I, I would still say I am in fa in favor of it just because the athletes for so long 
you know, it's like they haven't gotten compensated the way that they should have, as far as just kind of getting their piece of the pie of this monster entity that college football is. And then you, and then you make them where it's like, you know, if they transfer, they're going to sit out an entire year and lose a year of eligibility. And I, it just felt like it was very much like overly complicated. Um, And we we may have gone like and overcorrected the other direction. Um, But ultimately I think it's a good thing. We just need to kind of, like we've said, get some guardrails. And so it's where it's not just the wild West out there. It's like, we saw a transfer portal. You can still transfer that penalty, but like, there are like, there are certain stipulations and I don't, whether that's like rules about transferring within conference, or if there's like, maybe there's more narrow, like windows of time and when, when you can transfer. Um, I, mean, I guess you see that in European soccer um, where, you know, they have quote unquote transfer windows where guys change teams all the time, but it's in like a three week period. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, like you get through that three week period. And then like at the end of that, that's your roster. Right. And you're not to like worry about guys transferring, you know, right up until the first game of the year or even in season for that matter. Right. Which, which I think would be a good thing too. As you were talking about, you're not, the coaches at that point don't have to worry for the rest of a certain amount of time of like, is my, is my roster going to change mid game? Am I going to have to figure yeah, but out? Then, what but then on? you're putting the coaches needs ahead of the players. Say my, life doesn't happen in a three week period. You know, yeah. say the three week period is June and my, you know, someone in my family is diagnosed with a serious illness in December and I need to get, be living closer to home. Like there's just, that would be ideal for the coaching staff, but for the student athlete, maybe life isn't happening in that three week window. I don't know. Anyway, that I, I, I love all the, it's a mess. It's a mess. And the, I agree guardrails, maybe a little more and it, they're never going to fit every one situation in that narrow space. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm happy that the one, the players are getting some compensation. Most, uh, many of them have the opportunity to get compensated for what they bring to the table and that they have an opportunity to find greener pastures. Should they look for it? There's the opportunity. I like that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. All right. So quickly, we're going to get right back to it, but we need to tell you about Homefield. We love Homefield. So look, guys, they make incredible clothing for both Texas and Texas A&M. Listen, Robert, got to plug your guys. Um, they're these awesome retro designs, super comfy uh, shirts. Like they're super, super soft, very soft, um, unique, unique looks. Um, and right now, if you guys enter the code FIRE12, that's F-I-R-E-1-2, you get 15% off of your first purchase. So check out Homefield, whether you're sporting the burnt orange, whether you're sporting the maroon, go check them out. They've got some awesome designs. Save a little bit of money. Again, that code is FIRE12, F-I-R-E-1-2, and that's 15% off your first purchase. So load up y'all because you saved that 15%. Megan loves the retro screaming Bevo. And if you want retro screaming Bevo like (laughs) Megan, you can find it at Homefield. Absolutely. All right, moving on. Okay, so we're moving forward. Tell us we're looking way too far ahead. And even though, okay, even though football is five Saturdays away, well, by the time, like, yeah, just a few Saturdays Saturdays away. away. Can you believe it? We made it almost. We we almost made it. All right. So tell us, let's, let's talk about Aggies are coming off eight and four, Texas is coming off five and seven. We had massive culture change. Well, hopefully culture change and coaching shift and all that. And you guys had a strong start, you had quarterback issues, injuries, all the things. Um, let's do way too, well, not, it's not even way too early. Let's just do a little bit too early expectations. What are you guys looking for for the Aggies this season? 
I think for AM, um, you have to look at it two ways. Is that as far as like, if you're looking at years and years down the road, I think a lot of people look at 2023 as maybe the year of like AM kind of really arrives, quote unquote, as far as like maybe they're actually challenging for an SEC championship or a national championship. Um, just because they're not going to lose a lot from 2022 to 2023, especially at key spots like offensive line, quarterback, defensive line. Um, that said, I mean, with the way that AM has recruited, like there's no reason that they shouldn't be a really good team in 2022. Uh, because, you know, we talked about that 2022 class, which they're true freshmen, but still when you recruit eight five stars in a class, like you're expecting, you're going to have some instant impact players. Right. Um, and then the, you know, all of the, uh, the three preceding classes before that were all top 10 classes. So AM should be stacked at talent across the board. Um, so for me, if you're trying to like look at the previous year and find reasons why you're going to be better, uh, the biggest two for AM is just offensive line and quarterback. I mean, very similar to Texas in that regard, actually, uh, because last year AM went into the year and offensive line was one of the big question marks is they were having to replace four or five offensive linemen and quarterback was a question because you're replacing Kellen Mond who went to the NFL. Um, and then those just happened to be the two positions where a suffered the most injuries where you lost Haynes King in the second game of the season. Uh, you had multiple injuries on the offensive line and where you were all of a sudden uh, in game number one or two, starting two true freshmen. And so is it your two kind of already weak points that then suffer injuries? And now all of a sudden you can overcome a shaky quarterback or you could overcome a shaky offensive line. Overcoming both of those things is very, very hard. <laughs> yeah. So Jimbo Fisher was talking at SEC media days about three quarterbacks competing. Who is your quarterback? We really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going into the season not knowing what they say. If you don't have one, if you have three, two or three, you don't have one. Who's your quarterback? Who do you want your quarterback to be? And, and honestly, I don't even know the answer to that question. I'll kind of make the case for all three real quick. Um, so you have Max Johnson, who was the quarterback transfer from LSU. Right. Uh, the, the upside of him is just, um, he's, you know, he got pedigree. He's the son of Brad Johnson, you know, former, uh, former Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Uh He's kind of. I thought last name didn't matter. I thought yeah. last name isn't why you should have any stars. It's no, Keep going. <laughs> but uh, but he knows it. But he's he's the prototypical. He's he's got like the NFL size. He's got nice long arm. Um, like he is the very much like the prototypical like Jimbo quarterback because he's very much a pro style quarterback. Okay. Um, then you have Haynes King, who is, you know very different from that and that he's, he's still, he's, I think he's still six, three. So he's still got good size, but he's every bit like the dual threat guy. Um, but so his attributes are, you know, he's got the speed so he can be more mobile. If the offensive line still is more of an issue um, and just it's his third year in the system. And so maybe he has advantages just because he's more familiar with the offense. He's more familiar with just with Jimbo Fisher and the rest of the roster. Um, and then the wild card in there is, you got your true freshman five-star quarterback in Connor Wegman, who I think a lot of people are writing off as just, well, you know, it's a true freshman. So obviously he's not going to win out over, over two third-year players, but honestly, I, I mean, from what I saw in the spring game and from what you hear out of Jimbo Fisher, he, Wegman is no 
is not the favorite by any stretch of the imagination, but I don't think he's like out of the running either. Um, it could provide a spark for you guys. Yeah. When you but say it, third year in the system, what's the system? How would you define Jimbo's system for offensive players, recruits listening? Well, how would you define Jimbo's system? Because he uh, gets he gets criticism for his offense. He does fairly. Yeah, we, I mean, you know, it's hard to say because a lot of it is like I think AM Jimbo has adapted to what he has had at AM. Um, okay. and so like early on, he had a really strong offensive line. He had a great running back in Travion Williams, so they were very run heavy. Um, and pretty much every year he's been on campus, he's had an all-American at tight end. And so you've had right a lot of years like your tight end is your leading receiver. Um, but you know, this year you go into where you're definitely you're almost certainly starting a true freshman at tight end. Um, whether that be Jake Johnson or Jonathan Green. Um, but you've got, you know, you've got I, probably the most talented wide receiver group that they've had at AM since he's been there uh, because they bring um, almost everybody back from last year's group, plus you add in two five star freshmen. Um, so that's a group that should, I think, you know, be better than they've been in years past. And, and just, I think, improved quarterback play because there were so many times last year where, you can try to blame the offense, but there were also like times where you, know, you see a replay and it was just Zach Calzada, like not seeing the open man when he got there. And, and I was like, I'm not going to sit there and defend Jimbo's system. Like Jimbo could stand to modernize his offense. Cause I think he's running the same offense he did when he was at Florida state a decade ago. Um, and so it's not like, it's not cutting edge. It's not super high tempo, but it's, you know, to quote, uh, remember the Titans, it's like Novocaine, it always works. You just give it time. <laughs> sure. Well, and I think an argument to me being, look, yes, I do think that teams need to modernize. You need to uh, adjust. The Big 12 did that early. You know, I think they had that up-tempo for a long time in the, in the you know, the past crazy offenses that made defenses look bad. Um, outside of the Big 12, you started to see that being reflected, but um, you know, one thing I do want to say though, I mean, this is Jimbo's, you know, he's got his players now, right? Yeah, like yeah. We can't say, Hey, these are, these aren't his guys. It's he's dealing with what he had to work with. I, I think this is going to be for me, my, my opinion, this is a make or break year as far as defining who Jimbo Fisher is as a coach and the vision that he has for AM. and um, yes, you guys, you, you've got serviceable quarterbacks. Um, and I think that's up to Jimbo right now, getting his recruits. You've had great recruiting. Um, you know, of course we could get into the whole, I crack up at the whole bought the class argument, like just own it. It's NIL. It's fucking legal now, man. Like, yeah, everyone should we hope grew, they buy they everything. Should hope, <laughs> they should hope they have the money to be able to do that. Right. Like I, I never understood it's that. It's not an insult to me yeah. to say we balled out and we brought in who we wanted. <laughs> we we to offered me, that's what we compliment. could. Right. I mean, yeah. it can't come from the school, but to say we legally did we, everything we could, we could buy in, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's Jimbo's offense now, right? This is Jimbo's team. It's his guys. There, there aren't, you know, this is the third year in, in his system with what he's instilling. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that pans out. Um, you know, and, and we'll, we'll touch on the same things with Texas, you know, Texas is definitely, our fans are very impatient, um, and Sark fairly or unfairly has pressure on him too. Um, do you think, is this a scenario, is a and so in love with Jimbo that, 
there's a scenario that he gets in the hot seat soon, or is his contract going to save him? Or how do you feel? Do you feel if, is this a make or break season for Jimbo Fisher or oh, great question, or how, how are you feeling from that, from the AM side? Um, I think it definitely is kind of a prudent year for AM and for Jimbo only because like you said, there's no built-in excuses. Like this is his roster. He's been here for enough years that like the excuses are gone. So it's like, now's the time to see improvement. Um, that said, I don't think he's on any kind of hot seat only because you, know, you look at AM just had that number one recruiting class. That's I think that buys him some time and some goodwill. And you touched on too, like that contract means that even if he had a disastrous season and people were pissed off, like that buyout is so massive. Like, Let's like, think like, about it. Let's not be rash. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, has deep pockets, but like when you're looking at like, you know, 50 plus million dollars in buyout money before you even hire someone else. I think that it makes a lot of people go mm, no. one more year. Maybe we sit on that for a minute <laughs> for sure. Good for him and his agent. Good well, job. Well, <laughs> I love it. So, so listen, um, as far as Texas goes, you know, I touched on it a l- little earlier. I think there are realistic expectations versus fan expectations, right? Our, our fans tend to be a little batshit crazy when it comes to what we expect and how fast we expect it. And it's all based on emotion versus like, let's look at the pieces and the logic, you know, Rocky and I argue we, all the time. We, you will be happy to know <laughs> I'm more when, and I, and this is an interesting way to say it. I'm more of the Aggie perspective, what I think Texas will be this year. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I very much am not like she's longhorn <laughs> roses and, and burn orange roses. And I'm like, what has Sark done to make me think? <laughs> We are going to win 10 games. (laughs) So, so look, I think, you know, and, and I will say this, I think Sark came into a situation that um, he was handed every shitty card he possibly could have, right. When he started as the head coach, it was during COVID. So he couldn't have physical contact with any of his guys. He couldn't meet him in person. So there was a struggle to know exactly what the culture of the team was, who your team players were, who, who guys that were bought in are, right? Um, so I think that was a challenge. And then you also had the fact that the facilities were under construction. So there was literally no place for anybody to meet, even when the COVID restrictions were lifted, which further complicates the whole team building thing and getting a feel for your guys, right? So, and then on top of that, Texas has been going through this goddamn coaching carousel um, and some of the players on the team that Sark inherited had already seen three position coaches, two different head coaches. Some of them like Tope Amad, like he had five seen, coaches. He, had, he had seen three head coaches and six different position coaches. Right. That's insane. And, and listen, Tope, incredible kid. We love him. He's, we do. Grown man. Yeah. He's a grown. He, he was completely bought in with PK and with coach flood that first year, even given the results. And he kept telling us, give it time. You give them time to instill their system. So five and seven sure as shit was not what we wanted or expected or hoped for. And there is absolutely no reason to lose to freaking Kansas at home. Oh, I will never, I will never forgive that loss. That sucks. Inexcusable. Worst worst loss of the college football year for any (laughs) team, anywhere, any level. So that being said, I think that now we are- Thing. I was like, not, and I'm not going to like rub your face in it because that's not what we're about. But like, th- that was the one game where, because I, because I, I didn't even, I wasn't even watching it till like the fourth quarter because even when the game was close, you're like, okay, you know, Texas is going to come back. Like, you know, I think they're going to figure it out. And just as that fourth quarter happened, it was just like 
as much as you know as a as a rival like you're excited about the prospect of them losing like they're like you just kind of sat there you're just like how is this happening happening? it should be (laughs) impossible and to me and this is where megan and i differ to me that loss defined for me sark as the coach at texas until he proves to me otherwise the moment before that was being up big at the cotton bowl against ou and then all this all gas no breaks it was all gas all breaks it was all breaks and to me that was like put him on the question mark for me but losing at home to kansas the way they did the way it happened I, it's going to take a lot. I, I just, I, to me, that, that affects my prediction of this year's team, because I just don't know what going off last year, why would I pick a 10 win season based on his record as a head coach? And here's, and, and here's, the only reason is uh, the supporting staff is new and different, but even then it's another turnover of coaching staff. See, I, and this is where I disagree. So Look, I again, I get it. I'm not going to make excuses for the Kansas loss. And, there is nothing and, to excuse that. Yeah, it's, and Rob, I appreciate awful. I appreciate your position on that. Like, yes, <laughs> that is a true like, what the fuck is going on moment, right? For everyone, whether you and whether you say those words, what the hell, and then are enjoying it, or going what the hell, and you want to kill yourself. It's kind of like, when we all turned into <laughs> your bowl game. Of- <laughs> <laughs> so look, I I totally get that, but for me, that's not the defining moment in the sense that. And again, I'm not going to make excuses for coaches. Coach's job is to motivate. No question. You should be able to motivate college athletes to beat Kansas at home on senior day. You should be able to do that on senior day. But again, talking within the program, talking to some folks that are very close or in the program, there were guys that had just checked out and you saw that throughout the season, but it was really reflecting after those really close losses and Texas hung on to a lot. Like we showed we had the talent and then the, the want to fell through on a lot of games and it was taking its toll. And I, I get that it is on the coaches to motivate, but my argument is when you already have guys that are completely checked out the last game of the season, it is, how do you motivate people who don't want to be there at all and don't give a shit? Like that is, that's tough. And, and what I look at, and I've been screaming this since last season, and we, I'm saying it and for this And we season. disagree completely on this. This is where okay. we fight. I, I'm a Michigan State person as well, and I love to use Mel Tucker as an example. His first year coming into Michigan State, they won two games all season. They were not a good team. It was a similar situation. Tucker came in late. He didn't have his guys. There were some, some kids that didn't, they, were, they, they were not Tucker's guys. They were D'Antonio's guys. They didn't want to be there. Um, and Tucker came in with a fury after the, he figured out his team, took some hard knocks, won two games, cleared out 33 spots on the roster after that season. And the next season won 10 games. I really feel like this is going to be a situation where, where Texas and coach Sark sees a similar thing. We've cleared out 36 spots. That's 36 new kids that are Sark's guys buying into his program, his culture. And he's had that full year and a half now to build culture without restrictions of COVID and and all that kind of stuff. So that's where I get my like glimmer of hope and where I can, I will never excuse the Kansas loss, but I can understand how we got there. I don't love it. I don't excuse it, (laughs) but I understand to an extent. Now, 
this is for me, this is a make or break. And unfairly, I think this is an unfair thing to put on Sark in his second freaking year as head coach, because we can't keep rotating coaches, but this is definitely a, all right, now show us what you got. Yeah. I have a much more rosy outcome than Rocky does. She usually ends up proving me wrong, but God damn it. I'm going to be <laughs> excited about oh, it. I wish we went 15 and 0 this year, <laughs> but that's not what's going to so, happen. So before I give my prediction, Rob, I'd love to hear yours. Predict. What do you think? This is our way too early prediction, right? A&M season. What do they finish at? I'm going to go A&M 10 and two. Um, Losses two. So definitely I'm talking up a loss at Alabama just because, I mean, they're Alabama. Like I know A&M won last year, but that's still the most talented team in the country. It's in Tuscaloosa. They're going to have revenge on their mind. I think that's going to be a tough one. Um, Outside of that, I don't have another where it's like, I've firmly decided, okay, we're going to lose to this team. It's just one of those, like, just the cumulative effect of, like, at some point, you know, you're going to play several close games. You're going to have one where the ball doesn't bounce your way. I don't, you know, that could be, I mean, that could be LSU. It could be Auburn. Arkansas. (laughs) Arkansas. I hate Arkansas. I I have you with a loss to Arkansas this year. Yeah. Sorry. I I hate (laughs) Arkansas with an undying passion. And it I hate them too. <laughs> behooves me to say this, but I do think that they are up and coming. They are on the right track. They're they're going to be a tough team this year. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so ten and two for A and M. You see big bowl. You think are you are you predicting New Year's bowl New again? Year's six, or do you think you guys are going to make it to playoffs? Not a ten. With two losses, you're not making it to playoffs. You have a bowl. New Year's Day win. Um. Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely New Year's Six. I'm not going to, you know, predict a win until I know who we're playing. Who you're playing. Uh, yeah, fair. <laughs> See, and this is why I respect you, man. This Good is call. why I respect you. Good call. You're supposed to say 15 and out. <laughs> like, you know, if we Sugar Bowl and play Oklahoma, yeah, that's a win. Oh, there yeah. You go. There you oh, go. Oklahoma is not making it to a New Year's Bowl. No. Okay, really quick, though. If you had to make one anywhere, anywhere around the field, anywhere in the roster, anywhere in the coaching statistics, Make one crazy wild bold prediction for the Aggies this year. It can be anything. A receiver does this, or a quarterback does this, or a defensive player does this. Make a bold prediction. Just oh. throw it out there. Throw it into this universe. Uh, I will say the so the AM's defense scoring defense will be better than it was in 2022 or 2021. And that was the number three scoring defense in the country last year wow okay so you're putting it in the top two defense scoring defense in the country it was not like top two just that like no as I'm far as you're, you're projecting game, that yeah, yes i guess as far as like here's our points per game last year we're going to be below that this year nice okay. All right. wow that's a good ball and i, I and like i like it because you guys have recruited and are recruiting the best defensive players in the country so yeah, yeah. i like that okay like the Perfect. one Weak spot might be that, you know, the AM lost a lot of guys on the defensive line, but they recruited just as well on the defensive line. And like they have, like, I truly believe I have like one of the best secondaries in the country. So I think that's going to do them a lot of favors. I like it. I like, all right, Rocky, give us your prediction for the season <laughs> and then your bold prediction for Texas. Okay. I say eight and four because until you beat Kansas at home, I'm not going to predict you yet. You're going to beat them on the road. Um, I actually see the win against Oklahoma being fine. I don't uh, sec our offense. Well, 
Sarkeesian's offense is he's an offensive genius. And now he has not only just the skill players who are under the system, but the transfers he's brought in elite level speed and the speed, 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 right? He wants to kill you with speed. Um, whoever, if we have Hudson Card or Quinn Ewers or whoever's coming in, we either have somebody who's been in the system or the number one recruit in the country that year. So I'm fine with whoever he chooses can run that system the best, but I'm still saying eight and four because either way it's Hudson Card who we've seen struggle and is a, defenses can predict how to stop him and, or a freshman (laughs) new to the system. So I'm going to say eight and four. My bold, bold, bold prediction is that we beat Kansas on the road. Jesus Christ. <laughs> wow. Wow. Be sure to 20, send 24, 21. Be sure yeah. to send hate mail. Yeah. We have a new kicker this year and he's going to win it on the road. 24, 21. You're killing me, small. <laughs> killing me. Well, I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah. I mean, I would love to put all my eggs in Sark's basket, but his record as a head coach is about 50%. I'm so about that. I am. I'm not. All right. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say, look, I, again, I wear the burn orange sunglasses. I drink the Kool-Aid. I'll be the one to admit that. And it bites me in the ass more often than it doesn't. But you know what? I'm nothing if not optimistic. So I'm going to say Texas finishes 10 and two in the regular season. My bold prediction, I actually have two. I'm going to say one of them is that Texas is going to average 42 points per game or more. Oh, yeah. For scoring. For sure. I think that's there. And then my other crazy prediction, I'm not going to tell you who I think wins, but I think the Alabama game between UT and Alabama is decided by less than five points. So I'm going to put that out there. I'm going to let you deduce your own shit. Um, I will say, I will say, Whoever won it, Texas, I, Texas is going to lose a game that we shouldn't. I think that's going to be out there. It's that's, not going to be Kansas. That's how we do. It's not going to be Kansas. We're going to lose a game that we shouldn't. And we're going to win a game that people don't think we should. So that's my call for the season. There's, there's, we're putting it out there. I'm owning it. It is what it is. Um, so we're going to ask you one more, one more quick thing, Rob, before we, we sign off. We appreciate your time, man. Thank you. We love having you here. I love this, you know. Yeah, I'm so happy you joined us today. I'm so happy. We're still moving, but I'm so happy you're joining us today. <laughs> Listen, we can sing Kumbaya and we can all get along. We don't have to be assholes to each other for sure. Um, but I, I do want to say, this is, this is just a weird question for you, just kind of out there. If you could swap one team from your current conference for a different team, who would it be and why? Ooh. Oh, let me think about that one for a sec. And don't get rid of Vanderbilt because they, <laughs> they bring your GPA up. No, they, listen, they're baseball and, and let's yeah. look, this yeah. is not, we're not talking baseball right now, but we could, we want to have you back on for some baseball because yeah. Oh, what Texas, a baseball year. Texas and Texas A&M have some pretty solid teams and I'm excited for the SEC Yeah, for yeah. baseball. All right. If you could swap who for who? I would say I would take out Missouri. And yes, I, good call. Not even like a big, big 12 hate thing, but just, I mean, I know. They have no purpose. <laughs> even, even as like a member of the big 12, like we never felt a big, like, you know, amount of like hate or like, you know, had a relationship with them. And then they're, they're just kind of over, over there in the East. And like, so like, there's not a lot of like vitriol between the two. And also they don't have the history that all those other teams do in the SEC. So I would boot out 
Missouri. Um, and honestly, I would love to bring in um, North Carolina just because. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I, 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 that I, yeah, yeah, yeah. You add, add another state, you know, it's like, but it's, yeah, it's still right there in that SEC footprint. Um, so you, know, you want to play Mac Brown again? That's uh, that's an interesting thing coming from AM. I like it. I know. It. I wouldn't want to if I was an Aggie <laughs> play Mac Brown. Um, and they have that those regional rivalries with South Carolina. Like that would be yeah. really nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's good a good addition. Good I call. like it. Not what I yeah. expected from you, but I like it. So I mean, there is a part of me that like that would say Texas just so we can play the game every year. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll be there. Be, Don't worry. Be patient, my friend. We are on our way. Don't worry. If, if OU wasn't so broke, we'd be there now. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Rocky, I'll ask you the same thing. Current conference, like let's ignore the SEC move. Current Current conference, who would you swap out? And you know what? I'll even, you know what? No, current conference, who would you swap out? Can we get rid of Kansas? (laughs) All right, and then who do you bring in? Who do you bring in? No, I'm just kidding. We're like 402 against Kansas. The problem is the two were in the last few years. Um, Really, I love Kansas being in our conference because their basketball makes us better. Um, makes us good. So if I had to get rid of somebody in the big 12, West Virginia, even though their moonshine is so great, that drive sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but, but why are like, look at a map <laughs> look at a map, <laughs> and, and they're just, it, yeah, we had a blast the first year we were there and it was, it was amazing. And the moonshine was great. The blueberry, the apple pie, blah, blah. Anyway, but they've gotten a little too, I like, I'll say it in your, in your terms, West Virginia, you gotten a little too big for your britches <laughs> and I just don't care for you anymore. <laughs> so you can go. <laughs> Who would you bring in? Um, Notre Dame. Notre Dame. I want some class and some history and some prestige. And it's terrible to get to your tiny little high school stadium. But I like I I, I respect I respect that program in all the sports. I respect them. And so and and they 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 need a home always. So (laughs) bring in Notre Dame. Fans were awesome, too. That that yeah, they were great. Terrible game for us. But the experience was fun. Um, I would say current again, we're talking current uh conferences right now i would swap out tech because i have oh yeah fuck tech. <laughs> no desire to go to lubbock ever again in my life i don't even remember them being in our conference so i would swap out tech and i'd bring in nebraska like i i miss that rivalry yes and i think college and, and look scott frost is <laughs> talk about a hot seat right like I, nebraska college football is better when nebraska is good I enjoy yeah. Nebraska. I enjoy the trips. I've got a lot of friends up there because of football. Nine and one was nice. That yeah. was nice. I yeah. I've met a lot of great people up there. It's just a fun time. Look, people write off Nebraska as a whole because of it being in Nebraska, but Nebraska's actually is a state badass. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot to do. The people are a lot of fun and the football program is historic, right? So for me, I miss playing them. Ancient, historic, however <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> I, I miss playing them. I miss that rivalry. Um, so yeah, that, that would, that'd be my choice there. Good call. I like so, that too. So I like it. All right. Well, Rocky, you have any other follow-ups? We I just one- have one more question for you, Rob. <laughs> we're going to keep you here forever, my friend. No, we don't want to take, keep you too long, but I, we're having a good time. So I have one more question for you. Um, what are you most excited about this season for your Aggies? And what are you most worried about? Um, excited about, I mean, I would say just overall, um, kind of just looking for that, I would say an arrival season, because as much as we all look at 2020 and I am finishing in the top five and winning a, the orange bowl that year, 
a lot of people, especially outside the program, basically just don't even pay attention to that because they say it was COVID year. Um, and so I think this is like a big prove it year of like, if AM can, like, if they can go 10 and two, if they can go to another New Year's Six Bowl, then all of a sudden, like that COVID year, like you say, no, that's not the outlier. 2021 was the outlier. Um, and so just like, I think just the anticipation of, okay, can we reach like those heights and can we like elevate what we are as a program? Or like, I, I mean, I swear to God, if we go eight and four again, I'm going to be. <laughs> I thought that was your favorite number. Like, listen, I, 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 I think on the stadium, it should say Texas A&M fight Nagy's eight and four. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But from seven and five, that's not funny. <laughs> five and seven. I'm sorry, five and about? seven. <laughs> you know what I mean. From five and seven, that's even worse. <laughs> no, yeah, I, go ahead. No, right. I'm sorry. And what are you most worried about? Um, I mean, eight and four, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I think the, the biggest thing is just um, because it is year five. And so if, if it's not happening this year, when's it going to happen? And it's and it gets into that whole thing of like, if it doesn't happen this year, then you feel like that clock starts ticking on like, OK, how long is this coach going to be here? And if he's not the answer, then you have to start over again. And, it, you know, like it's like you all said, $50 million. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah, that coaching churn that then like then you hire the next guy. And if he's not the right guy, then you're doing the same thing three, four, five years later. And you just like, you want to feel like, you know, with certainty that you have your guy, that this is who's weeding your program where you want to get to. And yeah. so just, I, we want, we want to like find out and know for sure, this is the guy. And, you know, and I feel like this is the season we're going to know that. I love that. I wish I could put that on a loop for Texas, like give it time because we feel like we have the guy and my God, you can't, who do you hire after this? Who do you hire after this? Right. Like there are, I agree with that. Like, you've got to give it time. You got to have the patience. Now, obviously A&M is farther along as far as with their quote unquote new coach. So yeah, I agree. I I love it. I love that your both your excitement and your worry is kind of based around the same thing, right? The prove it. Can we make it past eight and four? I like it. I, I, I like it a lot. All right, Rocky, how about you, Texas? What's your, what's your, what are you most excited about? What are you most concerned about? Um, Look, be, we know most concerned. Bijan and Worthy, <laughs> who in the country is not excited to watch those two play, Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy, the two of the top offensive players in the nation are going to be in what should be the most explosive system in the nation um, with a year under the belt of almost everyone who's going to be out there starting on the offense. So that to me, like you said, 40, 45 points a game, we should be back to the days where we, if we could get, we, the defense is still adjusting. And back in the day when we won every game by 52 to 10, like literally the entire year was 52 to 10. I want to get back to those days. Um, so I'm super excited about Bijan and Xavier, mm-hmm. um, especially because when you have people like Isaiah, Wor- Isaiah Nair, and then you have Jordan Whittington and all these mobile pieces that will help catapult them a bit. I'm excited most about that. Um, I'm most worried about the get still how many years in a row getting pressure on the opposing quarterback until we do that. I just don't. And until we, until we make the other quarterback scared to come up to the line of scrimmage, that's going to be a struggle. And we will be in those, if we put up 45, but we're giving up 46, what's the the point of that? So that's where I'm at. We, we have to have a big improvement another year under the system with PK 
Um, the defense needs to be improved. So that's what I'm most worried about is consistent third down, um, getting the getting off the field on third down, pressuring the quarterback, forcing it doesn't have to be sacks. Just getting more pressure is what I want to see this year. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Yeah, it's um, funny how we're on like like different points where like if you could take the AM defense and a Texas offense, national like, champion <laughs> ten years in a row, yeah. <laughs> it would have to touch us. Like, and it's we, gonna be fun to see those two go against each other yeah. soon. Texas offense against what the Aggies are building on defense. That's going to be crazy. Yeah. Like we need to start like doing some like exchange program or something, you know, it's like, <laughs> we talked about the transfer. Portal. Okay. We well, have an idea. okay. We'll take all your defensive players. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think most excited about really is just seeing what I have perceived as a culture shift. I think Starks really got his culture um, going at Texas you see it in little things, the social media, you see it in posts, you see it in conversations. There's a buzz around athletics that hadn't been there in a hot minute. Mm -hmm. um, there's not that like underlying ugliness, right? Like that we had with some of the previous uh, regimes, I will say. Like, look, I, I will say one thing. Coach Strong, Charlie Strong never had a culture problem. He had a coaching problem. Tom Herman never had a coaching problem, but he had a culture problem. I feel that Sark doesn't have either. I think he's got the perfect blend of coaching and culture. And, I, and I'm excited to see that kind of come to fruition I agree. this year. I, I think that this is the year that that really kind of flourishes. I do think we're going to have some stumbling blocks. I think we're going to, you know, like I said, we're going to lose a game. We shouldn't. We're going to struggle in areas that ugh, it'll be frustrating. But overall, I think we see a huge improvement on this team. And I think I, I do. I I think realistically we can win 10 games. I, I really believe that in my heart of hearts. And oh, I we think, can. And I think that is a culture change. And that's what I'm excited about. Worried about, um, Rocky, I have to be there with you. Um, defense is a big concern for me, but I'm going to, I'm going to say this because we, we know that defense is a concern. You covered that part. So to be a little different, I'm concerned about figuring out who the hell our quarterback is, Right. Rob, we gave you a little bit of shit earlier, um, but we've got yours. We've got Card and we've got Malik. I think people are counting out Malik, right? And I don't want to see Texas get in another freaking quarterback controversy. Pick your flipping quarterback and go with it. I, I think we have gotten caught up in this too much of not being able to pick our guy and not being able to stick with it and not being able to identify who is uniting the team and who the guys rally behind the most with the most upside. We've, we haven't been able to do that fast enough. And that's not just a Sark thing. That's That was a Tom Herman thing. That was a Charlie Strong thing. Hell, at points, that was a Mac Brown thing. So I'm I'm nervous. I, I want to get a little itchy about figuring out the quarterback stuff. I'm, I'm worried about a quarterback controversy. But, you know, I do have confidence that we'll figure it out. So, well, it didn't help it. Go ahead. Because uh, I think from the outsider perspective, the perception is, of like Texas doesn't know who their quarterback is, wink, um, because everyone assumes it's going to be yours and, and right. like work on conclusion. Do y'all feel like that's the case, or do you feel like yeah. it actually? Yes, yes, <laughs> I, I don't disagree. And again, perhaps I'm putting too much weight in other intangible things, but watching, and I, I shouldn't be basing everything on one game, but when I was, you know, at the game at Arkansas watching Hudson Card, um, he was deer in headlights, man. And I, and I haven't seen anything. I, I'm confident he's developed. 
Sark is excellent with quarterbacks. He's excellent with offense. I'm confident he's developed, but I haven't seen anything that makes me say Hudson Card has taken control of this team, right? I have seen all of the signs pointing to Ewers doing that. He's out there with, you know, on the lake with the guys. He's out there together. He's he's rallying. He's on recruiting. He's doing all this kind of stuff. So again, it's those little intangibles. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes, I, I feel like we've got our QB. Um, I hope we just don't get caught in that. Well, card knows the system better. Let's let him in here. Fuck that. Pick the best guy with the most upsides. Even if, if he's younger, even if he hasn't been with us longer, pick the guy with the most upsides it, it, that gives us the best chance to win. And who inspires everyone around them right. to be better. Best so it's August, right? And so um, camp is full swing, fall camp is in full swing. So we will be hearing out reports out. And I have a feeling that in the first week or two of camp, there will be an announcement so that the team has time to rally around who their starter is going to be. And that that player can start getting more first team reps, really start working ones on ones. And I have a feeling that that's going to happen sooner rather than later um, because of what happened last year. There was just too much back and forth and there could have been a valid QB competition going on. But I feel like this year. Um, you always want some competition to keep a fire under your number, your number one, right? Air, air quotes, your number one. You always want a fire under that. But at some point, the team needs time to just rally behind that person, get on everybody get on the same page, start getting those first team reps and move forward, ready, preparing for game one, week one. So mm-hmm. I have a feeling sooner rather than later, we will know who is officially announced. Uh, hoping who is officially announced as the starter and most of us if we had we were betting people which I am I would say it's yours I like it I like it well all right y'all so that is wrapping up um Rob man thank you again so much for joining thank us you, thank you we've we've had a blast with you I hope it hasn't been too too painful to join no. this bleeding burnt orange podcast <laughs> you were amazing yeah. I loved having you today yeah we we appreciate your perspective um for the folks listening thank you we appreciate you joining us again we want y'all to stay tuned we have got more amazing guests just like rob uh from AM lined up we're gonna see here from fanatic perspective we've got kevin dunn our guy coming on we're gonna be talking to some of the football families so stay tuned for that um, we've got current and former players joining us we've got kyle umlang which sorry about that robert you should pro- probably should have told you earmuffs before i said that part right <laughs> we got Kyle Unlang joining us, our man, Mike Harge from Ball Don't Lie. Um, and then we've got many, many more. So we are so excited to get season three kicked off. We really appreciate y'all. One last thing, don't forget, check out Home Field Apparel. They've got incredible stuff, both in Burn Orange and in Maroon. You can get that retro Aggies. I think, Robert, I think they've even got the Aggie script, which if I'm going to say, if I had to pick anything, it's pretty nice. That shit is fire. It is yeah. amazing. So right now. It's really nice. Yeah. So for any Aggies that are listening, please, uh, you know, and Longhorns throw in that you get 15% off, throw in the fire 12 discount code. That's F I R E one, two, you get 15% off your first purchase. Um, so again, signing off. I love it. I'm Megan. I'm Rocky and, I'm Rob, Robert. and we are fire the cannon. <laughs> <laughs>